back to 10 at 10 with Elise and Jerry. Number seven. Welcome in. It is that time. Name that tune for Jerry Brewer, who is already for Elise Woodward, who claims that she's so eclectic. You know, this is really you. Is it? You're supposed to be leading this thing, Miss Eclectic. Do, yeah. I love all types of music. Do you want to know what's really funny? Uh huh. I just got a text from a certain someone. <laughs> it says. Jerry needs the eclectic musical stylings of Taylor back on Name That Tune. Sent from Taylor. From Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. You're amazing. Call in, Taylor. We'll see how you do. Um, uh, load up the phones. 286-9595. Slickhawk, who fancies himself as the Name That Tune world beater. Well, he had a meeting to go to. But the pro's pro. Who knows anything from what era and previous, uh, Neil? You previous tell me. Years. Previous eras. You and I both share the love of Stevie Wonder. Oh, absolutely. We we share the love of Stevie Wonder. Um, we share the love of a lot of... Yeah. You, you've burned me some really good yeah. CDs. Yeah. See? I like it. Jerry, do you think Neil Scott could burn you a CD of anything that you enjoyed? Beatles? Oh, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I love some Stevie Wonder. I can, yeah. get, I can get down on some Beatles. I know the Beatles sound. See? Yeah. There you go. All right, so it is Name That Tune. Here's how it works. We will play the song, and you have to name it before Jerry and I and Neil, uh, the artist, or the song if you're the caller. We'll keep it easy on you. But we have to say the artist. We can't just, you know, once we've heard it for 38 seconds, have the name of the song from the chorus. That's not exactly tough. But we will play that song, and then you have your choice, pair of Brooks Shoes, or a Brooks jacket, all courtesy of Brooks, the maker of the best running gear on the market. They are a company based right here in Seattle, new headquarters in Fremont. You want to support a local company and have the best shoes. I promise you, you will have never run in more comfortable shoes than Brooks. And walking around, too, Jerry had some styling kicks, uh, the Brooks shoes. And I just got a new pair of Brooks as well. shoes Did you? last week, as a Neil, who has run at least a mile Every day for how many years? A long time. Over 10 years, this streak, and before that, it was 18 years. And you wear Brooks. I wear Brooks all the time. At, at least a mile? At least a mile a day. Every day? Every, Every single day. You didn't day. know that about Neil? No, I did not know he this. Had I to, knew he had to 10 years ago after a streak of mm-hmm. how many years in a row, Neil? 18 years, and then I had uh, 12 days off for some surgery, and then I mm-hmm. started the second streak, and I've got, uh, it was 10 years in June. Isn't that amazing? Neil Scott, man, at least one mile every day. I'm, I'm not slow. I'm not fast. I'm kind of half-assed. <laughs> hey, like, like, like they You're said with Kyle Ripken. half-assed, though. <laughs> like they said with Kyle Ripken, I think you'd be a better teammate if you took a day off every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once in a while you just got to nurse that hangover and stay home, Neil. Uh, yeah, well, he wears Brooks shoes. Why? Because they are the best shoes. And if you got foot problems, uh, our, our buddy next door, Spike O'Neill, he's not a runner. He's a Harley rider. Uh, he tried Brooks on for the first time and was, like, in love with him. I can't say enough about him, how it, his knees feel better, his back. So there you go with Brooks. All right, let's get it started. Name that tune. You hear the name or you hear the song. Call it out. We'll start with Ed and Queen Anne. Ed, are you ready to try to beat us and name that tune for Brooks Gear? Well, I would hope that you'd have something from, like, the 30s or 40s, but we'll oh, see well, you're gonna have what to, happens. You're going to have to beat Neil on that one, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that arrow locked up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. Uh, this is a new band, and I love this song. And um, It's a warm-up. I 
almost downloaded this the other day. I'm surprised you don't know this, Jerry. It's why do you got to be so rude? And then it was parody the other day. I said I can't have the name of the song, but he hasn't even started singing yet. Well, Intern Rex says it doesn't count for what you just said. I can't remember the name of who sings it. Nothing? I can sing you almost every word of this song, but... The song is called, yeah. actually, Just Rude. Just Rude, and apparently, we won't take that. Um, I think I may have the artist. Give me the artist, Neil. Oh. Ed doesn't know. I am the clue. <laughs> magic? Yes, that's correct, Is Neil. it magic? It magic. Hey, hey. Hey, look the, at Neil. Neil wins. Good for Neil. Canadian reggae, who knew? Yeah, it's very good. I love that song. In fact, I was going to download it the other day, but... Uh, yeah, so there you go. It was parodied the other day by somebody too, and it was it was cute, good song, good that, summer song. Weird Al, yeah, that was Weird Al. Yeah, he's releasing he's releasing a music video a day this week off of his new album. My kid asked me, "Who's Weird Al?" And I'm like, "Oh boy, we got some splaining to do. We got some splaining <laughs> to do." <laughs> you talk about going back in in my time. You gonna Weird play Al. "Eat It" for him? I that's the first song I mentioned was "Eat It," and uh, so yeah, we'll be doing that. All right, let's go to Rob in Tacoma. Rob, you ready? Hey, how are you? I'm ready. I'm doing good. All right, let's hit it. Uh, Lenny Kravitz. Yes. Lenny Kravitz. Yes. Yeah, I got it. Oh. Sorry, I knew that one. All right. That's right in my wheelhouse. Man, that's too That's too iconic. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a good one for if me. If you guys want me to play songs that... No, no, have. I like no, 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 it. No, 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 your selection no, is fine. No, that's good. I, I, it's I, just, you know, we were going to beat them to the trigger there. Yeah, was, that's right in my wheelhouse. That's one of my favorites. All right, Steve in Bellevue. Steve, you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. All right. What did he say? He did get a guess. I can't hear him. Steve, did you say something, hon? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, I just didn't know. Okay. We heard something. We thought you might have had a guess. We didn't hear him. John Mayer. Yes. Nice, oh, Neil. yes, Neil ah. Scott. Nice. Very good. All right. All right, st- shoes are still out there at two eight six nine five nine five. Hey, why, why is John Mayer such a big jerk? I mean, I, I, that's all you ever hear. I know it. And then anytime any, he's a lady killer. Is that is that the <laughs> oh, only reason why? Oh yeah, he's a lady killer. Well, there's a lot of lady killers out there. Well, he's kind of, I mean, different. He, I don't know. Go read Us magazine and you'll, f- you know, fill you in. I ain't got time for Us magazine. <laughs> I'm too, I'm too busy. I'm too busy learning about uh, Led Zeppelin. There you go. Yeah. All right, let's go. Next caller, Tyler in Tacoma. Tyler, you feeling pretty confident? I am. All righty, here we go. Eminem. Yes, yes, that is correct. Eminem, did you get that, Tyler? Yes. Nice job, Tyler. Good job, Tyler. That, you know what, Tyler? That is amazing. He hadn't even started yet. Well Good, done. Tyler, clap it for you. Would you like the Brooks shoes or would you like the Brooks jacket, Tyler? The shoes. The Brooks shoes. That's how you do it. That's how you play Name That Tune and you beat Jerry and Neil. Neil was on right. fire today. Look at Neil. It wasn't from the era of the you know great ballroom dancers. Was... I, I, I listen occasionally to the new stuff. <laughs> I, I love John Mayer. Yeah, see, and, there and you go. Magic, magic is Because uh, you're a lady cool killer, too, is what yeah, I've heard, right. Neil. Well, ladies, I'm telling you. I tell you what. Well, that's how you play Name That Tune. That's good times. Uh, so uh, there you go. Let's hit it next up on the 10 at 10. Thanks to Brooks for sponsoring that segment. We uh, so appreciate their participation in the Elise and Jerry show. And we do that every Friday. Number eight.
Jerry, next up in the wide world of sports, Nick Saban. The rumors have percolated and circulated that he was going to be, if he wanted to leave, to go to the University of Texas from Alabama, where he's had such a tremendous run of success. Lost two games in a row right now, so everybody's up in arms at Alabama. How could it be? But they were willing to pay him as much as $100 million to come coach at the University of Texas. That does not surprise me at all. I know some people were what? How could that be? There is no position in sport that is more powerful than head football coach at a college university. They are their own GM. They acquire all their own players. It doesn't have anything to do with payroll. Well, well can't we say head head basketball or football coach? I mean, uh, the, basketball, the basketball does not have the nearly the same Kentucky. revenue capacity. To it just is not the same. A, the most powerful football coach will bring in much more revenue than the best basketball. All right, we'll coach. follow you there. Okay. So that's why I would say that, yes, in the same vein, uh, the collegiate coaches, because they acquire their own players, it's just such a different level of revenue that you could afford. You're not paying the players. You're not paying millions right. of dollars for their services like you do in professional football. A $100 million contract for a coach, look at some, what these coaches are making. And frankly, if you want to go on free market, they're probably not making enough. How much revenue do they bring for that university? Enrollment goes up. Uh, all of the different factors of a good football team. We've sure. seen them. We saw it at UW when they were horrible and the effects of that across the entire campus. Yeah, especially at a, at a school like Texas, which is, uh, you know, w- when Texas is good, they're going to be the highest earning athletic department because of their football mm-hmm. program, period. So, um is it surprising? A hundred million dollars potentially. Uh, that story by uh, Paul Feinbaum. It's in his book, uh, which I will not read. I'm not a big Feinbaum fan, but it was pretty interesting that that little nugget. Uh, yeah, I mean anything over fifty surprises me a little bit. I mean because you're talking like, I mean that's that's money that that LeBron hasn't had a hundred million dollar contract yet, really, uh, because he opted out of his hundred million dollar deal, so he never. He never got the full hundred mil. But um, to be honest, they probably have just as much power for as a revenue builder. If Nick Saban went right. to Texas, do you know what he would do? He would turn Texas into the leading. There's no question. Program they, with all that money that they have. They win just, like four national titles in six years, and they would be on top of the world. Um, in terms of uh, salary as a function of revenue generated, uh, would he be worth it? Yes, but we are in this this gray area in which you're attached to a college university, and the idea that you're going to pay your head football coach a hundred million dollars uh, that just doesn't vibe with a lot of people. Uh, I find it hard to believe if it's not Nick Saban at Texas. I find it hard to believe any coach is going to get a hundred million dollar contract. I, I think um, there's a very but what we're, we're inching for one day we're going to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, one day you're going to find someone who is like in his early forties, who's won four or five championships, something like that, and they're going to try to lock them into a long term deal, and it'll be ten years, a hundred million dollars, and that'll be a game changer. You know, when when you have when you've got that many zeros attached to your name, people just look at you differently. I mean, look at Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano, one of the most popular players in baseball. All of a sudden, he's a $240 million man, and wherever he goes on the road, he's getting booed. Did Robinson Cano do anybody wrong? No. Did he 
mislead an entire city like Alex Rodriguez did? No. There was a Uh, sign by a Yankee fan that actually had Robinson Cano left for the money, and the Yankee fan was disparaging that him for doing that. And it. If that isn't the most ridiculous statement ever by a fan, a sign making right. fun of Robinson Cano for leaving for the money, and you're a Yankee fan? Yeah. Like, All you come gotta on, say, man. You know, CC Sabathia. CC Sabathia did not Every... want to go to New York, but the money got ridiculous. Yeah, you know? exactly. So many people don't really want to go play for the Yankees, but the money gets ridiculous. And then you're like, okay, well, we'll handle the, the pressure and – and uh, obviously the the history and everything. But getting back to the to the point, a uh, hundred million dollar coach, uh, you know the the ten million dollar a year coach was was stunning. You know to to when you started hearing about uh, you know the Lakers paid that for Phil Jackson in the final years of of his contract and all that. That's stunning on its own. The idea that one day we're going to see someone powerful enough to get that kind of money. That changes the whole kind of landscape of things uh, in in professional and especially if it's college. I mean, it would be a huge – I think even at Texas, which Texas doesn't give a damn. They just want to win football games. They'd and pay they want, anything and to they, get you know, I mean, in there. They, they want to show you how big they are and how mighty they are. But even at Texas, if, if they had pried Nick Saban away for that much money, uh, that would have been just – uh, a huge, huge controversy. I don't, I don't believe most college in- institutions would want to make that statement. And some of that's hypocritical, absolutely. Because if you're telling me that the guy is gonna gonna generate fifty million dollars in revenue per year because he's the best coach in America and he's gonna get the best players, the most stylish team, and all of that, uh, yeah, that's hypocritical somewhat. But uh, I, I just I don't play, think college is a place for that. Well, it is one of the issues with college athletics right now is that there is so much revenue coming in and the coaches are largely responsible for the consistency of that revenue coming in. You get a guy like John Calipari at Connect, and Kentucky. Did you just see the radio deal that Kentucky signed? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Would they have gotten that deal previously before Calipari arrived? No way. I mean, it is Kentucky. It is the place where they absolutely live and die by college basketball. But even that, John Calipari itself has returned Kentucky basketball to being a national championship contender year after year after year. That's not where they were. And he signed a fifty-two that. million dollar deal, uh, seven year, fifty-two. So he's a seven, really the first seven million dollar a year man, at least publicly, uh, in college basketball. Does he like his players? Does he get a lot under the table? <laughs> You know, John Calipari doesn't have to pay for a meal in Lexington. He probably <laughs> no. doesn't have to. You know, I mean, he's got a car deal. Uh, he's got shoe deals, clothing with Nike. So, I mean, it's like that money just goes straight yeah, in the it's, bank. It's but really... that's an issue for me, though. And the biggest issue in college, right, Elise, is because you've got the guys who are busting their butts to play for you, and they're not getting paid a dime. At least legitimately, they're not getting paid a dime. And you're living off of them and you're making 52 million or in the future maybe 100 million dollars i mean how do you sit how do you sit down with the family and uh tell them about all the benefits of getting a college education and everything and then the family goes and tells you well coach uh there's a lot of people offering me money and all i know is that you're making 12 million dollars a year and i'm making nothing like 
Don't you just like pack up and leave? Like that argument is won by the kid always off of their labor is what's paying your twelve, thirteen million dollar a year contract. Except for that's the case you know? right now too. And so I mean, it's it, it takes the hypocrisy to another level if we see a coach yeah. getting paid, you know, NBA max salary money, uh, you know, baseball, uh, five time all star money if a coach does that in college. Hey, John Calipari is making seven million a year, but for any of his players, extra cream cheese on that bagel baby. Violation. <laughs> Violation. Uh, we know how that is and, and what it's been like. It reminds me, I had a great opportunity to go to Cuba. And this may be a horrible comparison, and I'll probably preface it with that. But you go through Havana and you go through different parts, and it was, they just had no money. They were, it was just poverty everywhere you looked. And then you would wind through where some of the politicians lived, those at the top, and it couldn't have been more lush and lavish. It was the very few making a ton of money at the top, but but it not trickling down. And, you know, we get into this debate all the time about what is fair for college athletes. And it just was so – it is couched as amateur when the NCAA wants it to be. And it's couched as a moneymaker and a revenue driver when they're talking to sponsors and when they're talking to admissions and they're talking to other thing about what sports does. It's it's definitely they play it both ways right now and they're allowed to do so. Yeah, they're allowed to do so. That doesn't mean that it's right. I'm, that's why when one of these days revolution is going to happen and I'm just going to sit back and laugh. Well, it it is interesting. Mark Emmert, uh, former president of Washington and now obviously the president of the NCAA, he He's had some comments recently. There are changes coming with the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit and all of the whether or not athletes' likenesses. I've said this before. The Olympic model would eliminate much of the issues. I am a huge proponent of Title IX. Huge proponent of Title IX. I would not be sitting here without Title IX. I understand that. And the great things it does for society to make things even in that realm. I'm a huge proponent of that. But at the same time, I also think it's vastly unfair that you have athletes that are not getting paid on their likeness when it's an easy fix. The Olympic model is a perfect model. If they sell that, if that's what they're worth, then they should be able to get that on the open. You know, outside, the school is not going to pay you for it. But if a sponsor wants to come in, that's all fair. What is, you can't force a sponsor into wanting to, you know, have Keith Price do a car commercial or something. I'm fine with that. There's ramifications. There's some of them are negative, but I also think that where we're at right now, it's just the model is not working. It is not working. It is Elise and Jerry, the 10 at 10 coming up. LeBron James has reached out to Kevin Love. Well, what do the Cavs think about that? We'll tell you about that. Plus, Super Bowl celebration. We take you backwards to the Super Bowl week leading up to the the consternation. The What were we thinking right on that Friday afternoon in New York City, two days before the Super Bowl. You'll hear what we had to say coming up right here as we take you back to Super Bowl week and celebrate Seattle's first ever Super Bowl championship. That's after check on traffic. Now back to 10 at 10 with Elise and Jerry. Number nine. Gold the one. The tight end Miller in motion. Wilson pulls from center. Hands off. Lynch digging over the left guard. Digging into the end zone. It's a Seattle touchdown. Marshawn Lynch knifing his way in a one-yard touchdown. And the Seahawks extend their lead 14 to nothing. You know what's going to be awesome, Jerry? When they do it again? When they do it again. One week for to- from today, 
We're going to be out there in the sunshine at the VMAC. Instead of looking at this dark cave of a studio and being stuck inside with no air conditioning, we're going to be out there on the lake watching the Seahawks go through the paces. Getting them ready for well, the repeat. We'll watch them warm up, and then we'll be stuck doing the show while they're actually practicing. Well, we need yeah. to, like, you know, slip, slip Pete Carroll a 10, you know, because... Yeah, money will really put him on the him. field right next yeah, How much to us? money is Pete making? Like eight, nine million dollars. How much a year? money would it take to bribe <laughs> Pete Carroll? Hey, hey, Pete. L- a little more than what here's, we have. Here's, here's a five. Can you practice a little closer to us? <laughs> He's like a five. Yeah. <laughs> how much money do you think it is before like when I see a quarter on the ground, I pick it up. Do you? Quarter? Is quarter worth you bending over? Uh yeah. Oh yeah. Most okay. definitely. Okay. Quarter's worth it. Dime. What do you do you think a 20? Do you think he picks up a 20? I think he cares. You know, I wonder you can, we should like do Like how rich, when you got that We should do money. the math though. <laughs> I mean, Pete is in a financial place where bending over to pick up that $20 bill might actually cost him money. <laughs> too you know? much time. He might actually lose $2 <laughs> by bending over to pick <laughs> exactly up exactly right. That's exactly right. I think right. he picks up the 20 and then he goes and gives it to his uh, Seattle and LA foundation. Well, that could be too. He is very generous Of with course not. We're time. kidding. But you know what? Someone like Bill Gates- when you do the math, Bill Gates probably doesn't need to pick up that. As a matter of fact, no. Bill Gates is losing money, you know, walking from from his house to the driveway to pick up the newspaper. You know, if time is money, yeah, what it it, it is lost all relevancy with when you got money like Bill Gates. I try to do that with my wife every once in a while. Honey, this really isn't like the best use of my time. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to do that. You know, I just say it jokingly. You know, it's probably. Honey, I'm, uh, you're costing us money having me go and empty the garbage. Uh-huh. Really, we should have someone do that. Because. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Not, not that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, like, mowing the yard and stuff like that, um, it probably, you know, I mean, you know, we should pay somebody to do that yard work. Well, we when, you only, when you only get so much time to be with your family, I agree. There's some things that, uh, you know, you just don't want to do. It's just not worth it, no matter how much time it takes. Um, we were back in Super Bowl uh, or excuse me, back at the Super Bowl in New York City. What a great time. I uh, had a blast looking forward to the game. I felt very confident. Everybody we talked to from Seattle said the Seahawks are going to win this Super Bowl. And it seemed like everybody else w- was on the, thinking that the Denver Broncos were going to be the team to beat. That offense was just going to tear apart the Seattle defense. It certainly wasn't like that. We were looking back probably too conservative with how much we like Seattle I don't think I remember anybody going on record saying 43 to 8, though. I don't think I saw that. You got to respect the competition. Completely unexpected what they were able to do. This was our conversation before the Seahawks took center stage on Super Bowl Sunday. This was Friday from New York City. Jerry, as we wrap it up live from Radio Row, we just got a couple of minutes here. Um, what do you think? You talk about in the capsule, you've been here since Sunday, Jerry. It's been a yeah, long, it's been a long time. It seems like it's been three weeks. It really does. It does. And we talked for a week before we got out here about keys to the game and what to do and all those different things. What, what have you learned? What have I learned? I haven't learned anything Super Bowl week. I mean, these teams are as solid as it gets. Uh, that's why they were uh, went wire to wire as the best teams, basically, in the AFC and NFC. Uh, ultimately... Ultimately, I just I, I, I got to come down to what I know, you know. I mean, maybe if I were in Denver and had followed their run, I would feel a little bit differently. But I just I think the Seahawks are just a spectacular 
football team. I think they are a great football team. I actually think they, they, they're not done getting better either. I think as good as it is now, uh, I think in some ways they can be better in the future. But I just have a strong feeling that their time is now. The city's time is now. Mm. It's been 35 years since the 1975 Sonics. 79. Uh, no, excuse, 79. Me, excuse me, 1979 Sonics. I have that written down right in front of my face here as I'm trying to finish the column. Maybe well, that I'll, was like the other day I was talking, and, I, and Earl Thomas was talking about how the Legion of Boom is legendary. And I actually said the Legend of Boom, and I had like 25 people. Don't you know what it is? I'm like, uh, yeah. I know what it it's, is. It's, Come on. It's, and Earl it's, Thomas it's was easy. talking about it's yeah, legendary. It's easy to misspeak. I just, but getting back to our larger point, I just feel that the timing is right for this city. I feel like uh, in some ways, you know, I mean, you don't necessarily deserve a championship. Um, if there's a city that deserves but, a championship, it's Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. You know, but Cleveland could say the same damn sure, thing. Sure, and they, I would but, agree. But, they do, but too. But I just – I, I, I feel like um, uh, they put themselves in the right position. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the frenzy of the fans is unlike anything I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I don't want to come home to a disappointed, heartbroken city. And uh, the heartbreak will be greater than anything Seattle's ever experienced if they don't win. Um, but what's that old cliche? You know, it's darkest before dawn right i mean sometimes you have to face your demons and face your your shortcomings uh to find true joy um and i just think i, I think i think it's going to happen i mean i just it's been I a really real have a dark feeling 35 I mean, years for the seattle but, you know but city. in particular though it's been it was been a dark six years you know losing the sonics in 2008 uh the end of the mike holmgren era with a 4-12 and 12 team, uh, absolutely something that we didn't see coming. And uh, it was unfortunate that his dominant run, his great run, ended that way. Um, and then you talk about having to rebuild Husky football from 0-12. From what we have seen over the last six years is just a gradual improvement, just getting a little bit better, you know. More sunny days, a few more sunny days every year. And then now you have this team, which is just – it is, it is the apple of the city's eye. And you just, and they told you, I mean, they, they told you before you even believed it. They told you they were coming. They were like Muhammad Ali in this thing. At least yeah. they told you they were going to build the best defense in the NFL. And they told you that Russell Wilson can play. And everything that they have done, they have not really disappointed you yet. I mean, people can sit here and talk about losing in the last half minute against Atlanta. That's part of a growing process of a young team. If you expected them the first time they got to the, to the playoffs to go to the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, that's not the way it works in sports. They have done this in an incredibly fast manner, and they have not really, really disappointed you yet. And so why would we believe that they would do this now on the biggest stage when you know, you know their roster pound for pound is better? Yeah, there is. It, it, and I, when, when we looked or when we chatted with Derek Brooks yesterday and he said, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the depth of the lines. I'm going to look at the injury situation. I'm going to see who's fresher. I'm going to look at these things and then I'm going to come up with my pick. I said, well, then you're going to pick Seattle because all of those things. There's so many factors. If you look at these two teams, Jerry, the wide receiving core, Denver is better. The quarterback, Denver is better. Other than that, 
I, I think their offensive line is better. And their offensive line, I would agree. And other than that, I'm talking special teams, coverage, return game with Percy Harvin back, defense on almost every level, I think. Even the defensive line with Terrence Knighton, as good as he is, I think Seattle's defensive line is better. Oh, definitely. Their linebacking crew is better without Von Miller. Their, their secondary, we know they're the best in football. Then you look over, their running back is better. The special, the, the punter, the kicker, the, I'm, I'm telling you that, you mentioned it. Pound for pound, their roster is better. Anything you do, they'll do better. Will they be good enough to limit Peyton Manning to 75% of who he is? If they do, they will win. If Peyton Manning goes off, the Denver Broncos win. But I firmly believe that this secondary, this defense is poised to win this game. They are going to disrupt Peyton Manning enough. He hasn't seen a defense this good all year long. They haven't been tested like this all year long. It's going to be a little bit windy and chilly and nasty, frankly. Won't be as bad as we anticipated with snow on the ground or ice pellets that was forecast earlier. But it is still going to be in the 30s at game time projected to be on Sunday. I, I just think everything sets up for Seattle to win this game just, on Sunday. I love how hard it's going to be. You know, maybe some people wanted them to play a, a joke of a team in the Super Bowl. And hey, they got through. You know what? Out. San Francisco was hard. I, I they got how, through that. I love and how now, hard it's been. I mean, yeah. you, you in the divisional round, you got to play a quarterback who won a Super Bowl. And then you have to play your rival, the team that is every bit as good as you, uh, in, a, in a grudge match. And then after that, you go and you play – the best scoring offense in NFL history, probably the best offense in NFL history to counteract your number one defense. It, the road to this couldn't be any more difficult, but they're still standing here, and they're healthy, uh, they're young, they're ready to go, and I just think Sunday is going to be a significant day in the history of Seattle sports. I would agree. I think 24-21, Seattle on top. They win. Percy Harvin, MVP, go book it. It's 25 to 1 odds, yeah, even if he's not. That's a real good bet, in my opinion. Uh, and be prepared to party. Nah, go stock up, nah. get your streamers, your confetti, get your get your beverage of choice ready to rock, Jerry. Get your champagne ready to flow, because on Sunday night, that city is going to go nuts. It's going to happen. Give me 27-23. Give me 27-23 Seahawks. 27-23 season. Yeah, and I know who's going to be the MVP. Yeah? Who's going to be the MVP? Base mode. <laughs> I'm just about that action, boss. You know why? See, you know you, what? You know why? Because you, you, just, you just have to play this storyline out a little bit longer, at least. The guy doesn't like talking, and he's going to have to do that Chevrolet press conference. <laughs> or Malcolm Smith. Or Malcolm Smith. I, uh, I'd say that he wasn't on the board for the MVP. Of the Super Bowl, I was nearly, nearly. Marshawn didn't have to do anything. I still think Cam Chancellor should have been the MVP. If it were me, that's who I would have chosen. Malcolm Smith, good choice. Can't you know? He can't go wrong. As long as it's a Seahawk, who cares, right? But Percy Harvin would have been a good choice. But I, I would have personally voted for Cam Chancellor. Yeah, I mean Cam's contributions in that game weren't outright enough, you know. And I, I think it's a better storyline that one of their stars didn't win it. I mean, that was the 2013 Seahawks. They were so good that their fourth linebacker, who doesn't even start, wins the Super Bowl MVP. That That's the postscript on that team. Now, yeah. what 
what is going to be the story of the 2014 Seahawks? Finally, next week we get to turn the page. No more talking about the celebrations and all of that. Uh, people are going to use the word repeat. Uh, I don't like that word. Uh, I'm with you on necessarily, that. but uh, defending the championship as an organization, absolutely. We need to figure out the proper word, Jerry. That's our that's our mission. It shouldn't be repeat. Different pieces. Yeah, it's a repeat for the fans. It's not for the team. For the organization and all of that, yeah. But, yeah, I don't think – and it'll be interesting to ask Pete how he sees it. I don't think he's going to talk about repeating. I think he's going to talk about you know, you're at the bottom of the mountain again and you've got to climb all the way up. Mm-hmm. You know, just the the fact that you won it last year, does it give you uh, some kind of advantages knowing that you already know how to get to the top? Yes. But does that mean anything or, or should it mean that you should be cocky about it? No. Uh, you got to still have that same hunger, uh, that same kind of – uh, poverty of of uh, of spirit, you know. You got to go out and you got to go get this thing again. And I'm just excited to see this team get back to work. See how much further they can take this. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Elise and Jerry, with you, we're coming right back. Swinging a miss, something that we said that you said that is just wrong, flat out wrong. You can always text us at four nine four five one because we want to be correct here on the Elise and Jerry show. Texas at four nine four five one plus what we learned gets you ready for the weekend. Guess what, Mariners. Get back in action tonight down in L.A. We'll wrap up the show and send you to Ian coming up next year after checking the cars. Now back to 10 at 10 with Elise and Jerry. Number 10. Hey, look who just stopped by. Thanks to Softies. Uh, got Michael Robinson from The Real Rob Report. Is that how you're going to be known now? <laughs> Super Bowl champ sitting down in the studio. You look great. You were just saying you lost a little weight, but this time it's good. Yes, it's good weight. This, this time. is like it's expected, good, yes. and you're trying maybe to not have to go get suits custom made. Is that exactly. right, Michael? <laughs> Hopefully, I can buy off the rack here pretty soon. <laughs> what, what was your jacket size when you were benching at your, at your heaviest Ooh. as a fullback trying to tear people up? Uh, probably a 46 long, but they had to kind of let out the arms and shoulders, some in the butt part, the <laughs> and bottoms, the- you know what I mean? You got all those <laughs> muscles. Yeah, I had to let them go for a little bit. I always say you probably have a smaller waist, but then your thighs. Thighs ha- and butt. You, can, I, can I say that? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Thighs and butt. Oh, I my just- God. That just... Fills sh- all of my pants. Sure, the tailor comes in and they're like, yeah, this isn't what I see every day. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? How am I getting these pants to fit? <laughs> yeah, well, it takes a lot of communication. I have to talk to them a lot and, mm. and let them know what I'm feeling. Yeah, so. well, you you look great. Tell everybody, I, you know, obviously coming off the Super Bowl win, everybody's just been in celebratory mood. We we were just, you know, li- reliving the what we expected from the Super Bowl the day, you know, the Friday before Sunday. What's this whirlwind really been like as a guy that just won the Super Bowl and tasted the highest level of success? Well, it's, it's really been awesome. I mean, being playing in the National Football League, you have natural doors that open for you, right? But I, I tell people all the time, when you win a Super Bowl, that door is wide open. They're, they're actually greeting you and telling you to come through it. I mean, that's how I looked at uh, winning the Super Bowl, just the opportunity it afforded to me, you know, just to be here to um, I met the secretary of education of Virginia working on some foundation work. I mean, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to to meet her uh, if I had not won a Super Bowl. Michael, uh, and another opportunity that you had was to be on Young and the Restless. <laughs> now, you know, I, I go on this radio show to so tell Jerry. people that I like General Hospital. Everybody gives me a hard time. 
But then when they see you on Young and the Restless, everybody's like, go Michael. Yeah. Uh, but what, what was that experience like? Well, first of all, I think people believe that because Victor Newman is the most powerful man on daytime television. And I was honored <laughs> to have him in both of the scenes that I was a part of. But um, it was an awesome experience. I mean, I was just as nervous to go on there with Victor Newman or Eric um, than I was to play in the Super Bowl. I mean, to be honest, it was that comparable of an experience. When wow. I was young, uh, my mother, my grandparents, my babysitter, everybody watched The Young and the Restless. I mean, Catherine Chancellor, Nikki mm-hmm. Newman. I mean, everybody watched The Young and the Restless. Uh, and, and I remember being young, and as my mother and my father were going through a divorce, she would drop me off <clears throat> at my daycare's um, house in the morning, and divorce court would come on. And I would, I always <laughs> thought my mom and my dad would be up there. And then Young and the Wrestlers came on afterwards, and then I would just kind of sit there and watch that. So oh, I've developed man. a love for it. Oh, oh wow. It's too funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, Michael, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about life after football and, you know, whether you're prepared for it or not. I mean, I know some people prepared for it from day one in their career, and then they weren't ready for it, you know, when, when that moment actually came. So for you, what has it been like? And then also, is the door completely shut, or is there a scenario in which you would come back? Wow, that's a loaded question. That's a very loaded question. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, uh, regards to your sec- the second part of your question, um, it would have to be an unbelievable deal to get me to try to play football next year. I mean, again, w- with me being injured last year, my kidneys failed, my liver failed. I can't take anti-inflammatory medicines. I can't take a Tylenol. You know, I mean, I can, but I run the risk of having another episode and just so you know, there's no record of somebody having two of these episodes, which means you die if you have another one. You know what I mean? And I just can't risk that um, uh, anymore. Wow. I just can't do it, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, and to be honest, there are some that they're, they are great football players, and they just – you see it, and it's really hard to adjust to life without football. It's what they've been doing their entire well, life. You've – you – I've said – you're a really good football player. That real Rob report is somebody in the media. I'm like, that's great. Like that's yeah. what I, I think you are are going to be a star if this is what you pursue and what you want to do. I mean, you, you've got all kinds of options in front of you. And that's what I wanted to have at the end yeah. of my career. You know, I tell my children all the time, you want to have options. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you're done high school, you want to say, you know, I have a opportunity to go to this school, that school that I can do whatever I want. And I think it was about maybe five or six years ago, um, I kind of realized, you know what, Mike, you know, the, the stopwatch that started in 06 is still ticking. And when I'm done playing this game, I'm going to be a relatively young guy. I had to kind of reassess what success looked like. Because, see, growing up, to me, success looked like going to the National Football League and making a lot of money. That was success. And I think that's success of a lot of the young urban kids out there. It's either football or basketball or an entertainer, or 50 Cent, or a rapper like Jay-Z or something like that. And I think we sensationalize it in the media because that that's news. That's what people want to see. But in actuality, success shouldn't be that. I have a janitor at my old high school in Richmond, Virginia. He's been there for 40 years. He's maxed out his 401K. He doesn't have one bill, not even a, other than his taxes on his house. Wow. That's success. Yeah. That's financial freedom. And that's success. And I think that's who our kids should be looking at as role models. Because as you look at the National Football League, 75% of us end up broke. Do you want your kid to be that? 
Yeah, you it's know. not how much money you make; it's how much money you save and and and, and, and w- take what you do with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I I just think that too many young people view the NFL as kind of the the ending point. And I've always mm-hmm. viewed the National Football League as a stepping stone. I wanted to get to this point in my career. I wanted to get to where I can, you know, affect people in a positive way, um, disseminate information to them in a responsible manner. And um, so I've been waiting for this p- part of my career. Hey, Michael, you made some comments just about veteran leadership. We've talked, uh, should we call it a repeat? No, there's <laughs> going to be new faces. It's not for the team, for the fans it is a repeat. You you mentioned the challenges on NFL Network earlier this week about, you know what, there's some different things that are going to be challenges. What, in your mind, you have been in that locker room, you know the fight for those guys. What is the biggest challenge for them as they look to do this again? Uh, well, well, like I said before, they're, they're, they're guys that, has never had this amount of money before, and you know they're you know, and not just the the, the contracts that we know about, not just the Shermans or the Thomas, or, you know Earl and things like that, or Doug, not just those guys. There are other guys. I mean, there are another class of rookies coming in with new issues and, and things like that. My, my my question is, and again, you know, not just to kind of toot my own horn, but who's the guy in the locker room who, when there's issues, who will naturally have the credibility of every man on the roster. Red Bryant had it. Chris Clemens had it. I had it. You know what I mean? I think Marshawn is a guy who has it. You know what I mean? Uh, But I don't even know if that's Marshawn's personality, just go out there and say, hey, guys, we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that. You know what I mean? So my question is, who's that guy? Could Kevin Williams be that guy, Uh, the big D tackle that, that they just signed? Maybe, but he just got there. You know what I mean? Guys like Red Bryant. They've been with Pete Carroll and been in the system since they arrived. He was a guy that can disseminate, you know, uh, Pete's philosophy into the locker room. Again, who's going to be that guy? Yeah, and it's interesting, Michael, because when we talked about it uh, earlier in the week, sometimes it's hard for a star, a star, a superstar, uh, to to be that person, you know, because maybe there's some things that that they can't get down, kind of on that ground level with some guys or. Some guys of that talent level just don't have the patience, you know. So I mean, I mean, we we look at a guy and we say, well, Earl Thomas, who's been here for the entire period, uh, he would be perfectly suited, but maybe his leadership style isn't going to be the same as a Michael Robinson or a Red Bryant. Well, yeah, and Earl, he he's a guy. I mean, he's a leader by example. I mean, you, you just look at Earl. He screams intensity. He screams hard work. He screams passion. And again. Earl's not that big of a, like, talker. He's not right. going to just have all 80, 90 guys and say this is how we're going to do things. You know what I mean? That's just not his personality. Uh, but he can definitely show you a great example on the field. But, again, can Russell do it? Yeah, I think he has the credibility to do it. But then you're going to have some guys that say he's a year three guy. You know what I mean? How can you tell an eight-year vet? Um, some it's just, How can you advise an eight-year vet on some issues that he could be going through? Michael, you were a part of that. You faced that defense every day in practice. How good are they in terms of the all-time best? You you saw them more than anybody had to deal with those guys. Where should they go down in the ranks of NFL historical defenses? Oh, wow, and, and definitely in the top three. That that defense last year, um, <clears throat> I mean, sometimes in practice, guys like Cam Chancellor and things, late, late, in, late in the year, he, he couldn't practice. 
I mean, the backups, the third string guys, the practice squad guys, they're all bringing it. They're all bringing the intensity like they're playing in the Super Bowl right now. You know what I mean? It would make me upset sometimes, you know what I mean, <laughs> being a 31-year-old fullback. But they're that deep. Pete, has, Pete and John have created a culture that it just won't go away. You know what I mean? Every, every time a guy steps on the field, they believe that this is the championship and I'm being watched and I am competing for a chance to play on Sunday. It's going to get rolling on Friday, man. It's going to be fun. It's great to have you stop by. Thanks so much. Um, we look forward to whatever you're going to be doing. I, uh, hopefully you're out there in the media. You're, you're great. You're going, to be, you're going to be a star. Thank and you. Just don't take our jobs, okay? Can you promise us that? <laughs> hey, you can I, take I, this I, one. I don't, <laughs> don't think so. All right, Jerry, you're out. Michael, you're in. <laughs> hey, Ian Furness is coming up next. Thanks for stopping by, Michael. Michael Robinson with us here. Super Bowl champion. Doesn't have a good ring to it. Ian Furness will take you from here here on Sports Radio KJR.